Dare to Explore is presented by the Space Camp Explorers Club, a new way to support the U.S. Space and Rocket Center and Space Camp. Members of the Space Camp Explorers Club gain exclusive access to content, behind-the-scenes stories, and members-only swag. To learn more, visit SpaceCampExplorersClub.org. I picked biology because I wanted to work on human spaceflight. And I didn't want to work on satellites or weapon systems. And I knew that, you know, if you're working with plants or, 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 or animals, you know, those are the, you need humans in, in those experiments. So that was all. And it, it, and biologists felt like it was elegant. It was beautiful. I mean, like the design of your hand. I mean, there's a, the design of biology is extraordinarily beautiful. And, you know, compared to the design of our engineers, like we're as engineers, as a species, we have a long way to go to, to capture the elegance of the design of biology. And so I was really intrigued to learn from the brilliance of nature and, and what we can learn from it. Loretta Hidalgo Whitesides is an astrobiologist and alumni of Space Camp. She was a flight director for the Zero Gravity Corporation, is the author of the book, The New Right Stuff, Using Space to Bring Out the Best in You, and creator of Space Kind Leadership Training. She's traveled to the bottom of the ocean with film director James Cameron and is a founder astronaut with Virgin Galactic. Loretta and her husband are the founders of the global space celebration, Yuri's Night. I'm Ryan Faricelli. Join me as I learn what makes this extraordinary individual dare to explore. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for I'm flying up to the stars I'm gonna dare to explore this time And I'll let you know what I find So I grew up in Santa Rosa, California, which is uh, in Sonoma County. It's about an hour north of San Francisco on the coast of California, like the wine country. Everyone wants to be a firefighter or they want to be an astronaut. Did you go through that phase? Did you want to be an astronaut when you were a kid? That's a great question. So I've always known since kindergarten, I was like crystal clear, like I'm going into space. And how all the adults around me heard that was, oh, so you want to be an astronaut? And I was like... (laughs) seven and I'd be like adults no duh because when I grow up everyone's gonna have a rocket in their own garage you might have to be an astronaut to go to space (laughs) right people we were all gonna have flying cars the jets so to me astronaut it it didn't seem necessary because I thought like no everyone can go you don't need to be an astronaut anymore I was a little ahead of my time, I think, was the, was the moral of the story. And then you went to college, kind of pursuing similar sort of ideas. Uh, you went to Stanford and Caltech and became an astrobiologist. Yeah, so by that point, I realized maybe I did need to be an astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> what was, was there something that made that shift for you? Well, my first job out of, well, no, I wouldn't call it a job, but my, I did an unpaid internship. It was my first thing out of Stanford. Um, I was like freaking out as I'm sure anyone who's graduated from college can relate. <laughs> right. Like, what the heck do I going to do now? And this wizened grad student like graciously sat me on the couch in our, in our co-op at school. And he's like, Loretta, you're about to graduate from college. You can do absolutely anything that you want. So what do you want? I was like, oh, 
wow, okay, well, if I could do anything that I want, I would want to work in the astronaut office in Houston, Texas, because I want to see if the astronauts have the passion that I have. And, you know, because I'd met a lot of middle career people and they didn't seem as passionate about space as I was. And I was worried that maybe I was deluding myself and space wasn't as cool as I thought. So he said, great, call him in the morning. Um, and so I did. So, yeah, so I got to work in the astronaut office in Houston out of college. And um, and then I came back to California and worked um, at NASA Ames for my favorite boss ever, Dr. Chris McKay. And it was during that time where I was like, OK, I can do this. I can go get a Ph.D. Um, I can apply to the astronaut corps and that'll be the way I get to space now. <laughs> so the goal ultimately was always to get up. Oh yeah. Oh no, don't get me wrong. No, when I got to Stanford, I remember this was pre-internet, right? So we got a course catalog, which was like a Bible, you know, it was like this huge book we used to get in colleges. And I remember going page by page and looking, because if I could have, I would have majored in space, but that, you know, most places you still can't do that. So I had to, I had to pick an actual major. I I couldn't just be space all the time, but that's what I wanted to do. Why, why astrobiology then? So I came in physics, actually. Um, I was like, got, you know, get into college. I'm like, I'm going to do the physics AP. I was like, I'm going to solve the grand unification theory. Calculus and I didn't get along. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That didn't go so well. And I realized that maybe doing math and physics every quarter for four years was probably not going to be a good fit for me. So I tried bounce around. I tried other things. I tried international relations. Like that seemed to apply to space. And I tried earth systems, which is a major at Stanford, like about the environment. And I thought, well, you know, you got to use space to take care of our home planet. Um, so I tried all kinds of things. And I actually went to Washington, D.C. and I did an internship in the space subcommittee of Congress. And I remember, you know, being starry eyed and like 20 years old and and telling people I wanted to go into space. And they're like, you know, they say, what's your major? And I'd say international relations. And they're like, no, way. <laughs> no, if you want to go to space, you need to be a scientist or an engineer. Right. And my dad was an engineer. And at the time, my dad and I didn't get along. And so I was like, well, obviously, it's not going to be an engineer. So scientist it is. What did you do in the astronaut office? And I guess a lot of people probably wonder, what's an astronaut office? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's the fourth floor of Building 4 at NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston. It's where all the astronaut offices are. So at the time, this was the mid-90s. I graduated in 96. And there were like 120 NASA astronauts at that time. It was like a bustling office. And in fact, we just admitted the the biggest class ever, I think, of NASA astronauts. And they called them the sardines because they had to like find room desks for them in, in offices and fit them in some in the office space somewhere. Right. And, all, and so, but it was great because you come into Monday morning staff meetings, you know, if, you met, if you've ever been to a Monday morning staff meeting, but this is a Monday morning staff meeting with 120 NASA astronauts. And it was like, Oh, this is the coolest room to be in ever. And they'd they'd be like, all right, you know, we're going to be flying our T-38s to keep up our flight proficiency. You know, remember there's some challenge at the runway and you guys be fly safe out there. You know, don't, don't make any dumb moves. You know, this is important. So yeah, just to be able to fly on the wall there was uh, super fun. So yeah, the astronaut office is, is just where they're, they, they report, you know, between, between missions. It's, It's uh, sort of their, the desk job part of their role. (laughs) That's when they fly their desk. Yeah. (laughs) What, what happened after, when you left the astronaut office uh, there in, in Texas, where did you go? Did you go back to, to California? Is well, that first when you went- I, I got a job. First I had to get a job. <laughs> so um, I was an unpaid internship. So I got a job at Johnson Space Center as a contractor working on the International Space Station. It's part of the Independent Assessment Org, sort of the safety org. 
and that was a lot of fun. So it was great because I was fresh out of college. Uh, you know, I was in like Mecca for space kids and I was just having a ball and I, you know, it was cool because in college I hadn't really found my niche, my people, my, I hadn't found a group of space people to hang out with. It wasn't until I got to Johnson that I found mine. So I, I only made it in Texas about two and a half years. And as a Californian, that, you know, that time abroad was really demanding uh, on me. So I, I was definitely feeling the urge to get back home to the left coast. And so I ended up finding my way back to NASA Ames and working for Dr. Chris McKay doing astrobiology research. And one of his affiliates was doing a research expedition to Houghton Crater in the Canadian Arctic. And they needed a biologist. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so there. I could totally. So I was, I was just fantastic. So I got to study, uh, you know, Chris and I worked on a, a project where, you know, I was, could look at um, the life forms, the like really small plants that can eke out existed, put out these little tiny flowers, you know, the Arctic flowers, uh, and study like what kind of life can, can survive in those harsh conditions. And so it was two weeks up in 24 hours of sun and it was, you know, playing the life on Mars and it was just a ball. You're an astrobiologist. So what is, what is the astro part of looking in this crater and the biology that's there? So astrobiology is like the study of how did life how does life start? How did it start on this planet? How does it start on other planets? It's also um, how does Earth life react to being taken away from Earth? So can we grow plants on Mars? You know, can the human body survive on the moon? How do we deal with radiation? So there's all kinds of intersections of biology and space and sort of astrobiology covers all of them, you know, and the search for life, you know, any, anything with you through any mashup of biology and, and space, you, it fits in the astrobiology bucket. And, and the part I was most interested in was bioregenerative life support systems. So growing your food and recycling your air and water using biology, the way that our spaceship earth does. Um, uh, and so, yeah, that, so I'm interested in, in that. And, and we, we looked at terraforming Mars. And then of course we looked at, and a part of that is like life in extreme environments. Like what are these first plants that could, you could have on Mars when it's just getting warm enough to, to support life, kind of like the Arctic. Train like an astronaut and get lost in space at the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. Exclusive family weekend programs are available to try your hand at piloting the shuttle and is based on both the past and future of space exploration. Pilot the space shuttle and attempt to land safely with the museum shuttle experience. Your team of up to four participants must work together to land the shuttle and bring the crew safely home. Museum admission is required. Find out available times, prices, and more at rocketcenter.com and get ready to blast off. It's funny that very same summer I went straight from the Arctic to Europe and I went to Vienna, Austria, which is where the Committee for the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space is, the UN committee, and it's amazing. And they're having the third ever Unispace conference. So it's like all the countries of the world come together to talk about space. And they've done one in like 1968 and they've done one in 1981. And now they were doing one in 1999. <laughs> and I was lucky enough to be invited to be a youth delegate. So there was a 160 of us from 60 different countries, including North Korea and Cuba. It was like the most diverse. Wow. 
thing I'd ever done. It felt like uh, the Star Wars Senate. Yeah. Anyway, all these different people. And there's the traditional dress and the headphones. And anyway, it's great. So we got to <laughs> give our recommendations to the UN of what the youth thought we should be doing in space. And it was an amazing experience. What was, what was your recommendation? Do you remember? I do. I do. I actually, I recommended, this was a fabulous life lesson. I recommended <laughs> that we have a world space holiday. Um, and all my fellow youth delegates were like, this is a great idea. We're going to run this up the flagpole. We're going to turn this into the UN. This is fabulous. And we, we were so excited and we, we had 10 recommendations. We boiled it down to, and that was one of the 10 and we handed it over to them to the adults and, uh, and they took it and they liked it as well. And they picked it up. The problem was I, in my mind, I had been thinking that the holiday should be April 12th, but I'd not written that into the recommendation. I didn't explicitly say that what I wanted. <laughs> And so the, the UN took the recommendations from the youth and they said, ah, oh, yes, this is a great idea. And we should have a holiday for space. And we declare it should be not a day, but a week. And we will call it World Space Week. And they declared it would be October 4th to October 10th. And so since 2000, we've had World Space Week. The UN declared World Space Week because I didn't say what I really wanted. <laughs> right. Uh, so that was a great, I love to teach that lesson to other people. Like make, when you're asking for something, make sure you're clear what you want. Well, another great lesson coming out of that though, is that you went on and did what you wanted, <laughs> right? I mean, so let's- we, yeah, we, go, we went ahead and started our own space holiday on April 12th anyway. <laughs> uh, and, and the best part of the story is that 10 years later uh, on the 50th anniversary. So April 12th is the anniversary of the first human to go into space, Yuri Gagarin. And uh, so 10 years later, it was the 50th anniversary of human spaceflight. It was uh, April 12th, 2011, 50th anniversary of, of humans going into space. And on that day, the UN declared April 12th International Human Space Exploration Day or something like that. It's like, okay, we, we, go, we, got, we finally got what we wanted. It was just 10 years later. No, but it was great. Today, Yuri's Night has grown to become a global celebration held each year on April 12th. Celebrities, scientists, astronauts, and hundreds of thousands of space supporters gather around the world at museums, planetariums, schools, bars, and NASA centers to embrace space exploration. It's all about um, getting people together, right? So whether it's at Johnson Space Center where I finally met other people who love space, or whether it's at the UN and I finally met people from around the world who love space, you know, it's finding your team. And I remember telling them like, oh, I want to do this April 12th, 2001 is coming up. We've got to do something to celebrate it. It's the, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a, such a coincidence. It's the first Soviet person flew into space and the first space shuttle both share this anniversary. April 12th, 61 was the Garen's flight. April 12th, 1981 was the first shuttle flight. So to me, as a, somebody who grew up in the height of the cold war, I was so um, blown away that the, uh, the superpowers, the former space rivals could share a space anniversary. And it so spoke to me at the deepest level that like, uh, to my dream, which is that we could use space to heal the world and bring the world together. So to me, the, con the, the coincidental conjunction of these anniversaries was too important to overlook. And so I just remember talking to everyone about it and sharing this passion. I was from a kid from the 80s. So I was thinking Band-Aid and Live Aid and um, farm aid, you know, these big, uh, stadium concerts, which right. is what we did in the 80s. Um, and so I was like, oh, we should have a big event in Houston and a big event in Moscow. And we could like 
link them by satellite. And uh, I just remember all the young people were like, no, no, we'll, we'll host one in Japan and we'll host one in South Africa and we'll do something in, in India, we'll do something in England. And, and so I realized, well, A, I didn't have the money to rent out a stadium at 26. <laughs> so um, we decided that the grassroots distributed open source method would be a little bit more bootstrapping. So, so yeah, we, we were hap- lucky to be at the beginning of the internet at that point and have emails and be able to talk around the world. We didn't have Skype or smartphones or any of these incredible tools you have now, but at least we had enough to get things going worldwide. So we made this big announcement in August. We're like, we're going to do this big party in April. It's going to be awesome. And then in December, I was like, oh, I am on track to completely humiliate myself and totally fail. And tell, and all these 40-year-olds who told me that I was naive and, and op- overly optimistic and youthful are going to be right. And I'm going to look bad. And I didn't have any money. I didn't have any volunteers. I didn't have any plan. And I was my ego was like freaking out because I'm like, oh, my gosh, no, this is terrible. Um, but luckily, I, I had uh, my mentor at GPL at the time um, intervened and, and coached me and helped me see a lot of the things, my blind spots and rearrange my molecules and um, uh, get my, get things back on track. And we were able, and when I knew it was going to work was um, the night of the event, we had gotten the lunar rover from Tom Hanks's from the earth to the moon series in the parking lot of the nightclub we were at. So Mandy Moore team came to film George well, my now husband at the time, he was just my business partner on the lunar rover. He's got his full raver space raver outfit on. He's sitting in the lunar rover. He's got that classic iconic MTV microphone in his hand. And, you know, he's talking about, you know, you know, we lo- I like space. I like music and I like to dance. And, um, yeah. And that's when we knew like, this is, we've got something really magical here. It was really fun. We ended up with like 69 parties on the first year. And, uh, you know, and it's grown ever since we've had parties in Antarctica and, uh, you know, got, gotten parties in the International Space Station and uh, all seven continents. It's it's really been fun. This is a big year for us. First of all, this is the 20th anniversary of Yuri's Night itself. So we started in 2001. Cool space year, obviously. And now it's 2021. So this is our 20th year. And it's also the 60th anniversary of human space flight this year and the 40th anniversary of the shuttle. So it's 60, 40, 20. Um, <laughs> wow. It's not going to line up like that again. So we're excited for that. And it's it's been a great ride. I mean, we've had, uh, you know, once the shuttles retired and were put in museums, then we started hosting. They were like, well, that's obviously a great place for a party. So we started hosting our year's night events in Florida and uh, California under the space shuttles. And uh, Seattle does it as well. And we've had the parties, um, air and space. This is this is the other moment. This was only a few years ago, but this is the moment when you when you really know you've been trying to get a hold of the Smithsonian air and space for like 15 years, <laughs> and you're just like, oh my gosh, they're so cool. And then one day they call you and they're like, we, yeah, we, um, this is the air and space museum. And we were just wondering if it'd be okay if we like had like, you know, like a Yuri's night party here. Is that okay? <laughs> yes. That'd be awesome. So that was a big win. And that got in the New York times. Um, we've had Buzz Aldrin under the space shuttle with us in LA. We've had, um, you know, members of the grateful dead, you know, uh, Phil Lesh played at the NASA Ames event. You know, we had Bob Weir on our global live cast. We did last year during, we had a pivot for COVID. So we, um, luckily a lot of astronauts and, and musicians were just hanging around their houses. So they're like, yeah, sure. We'll beam in. It's no problem. That's cool. 
So we had Scott Kelly, who did the year in space, the astronaut who spent a year in space with his twin brother on the ground. And then Bob Weir, who's a founding member of the Grateful Dead. And, and Scott Kelly's a big Grateful Dead fan too, which was the best part of the conversation. So you have this astronaut and you have this Grateful Dead and they're just like drinking beers in their living room, like shooting the shit, uh, you know, excuse me, I don't know. You uh, say it. <laughs> out, talking about space and music and having a good time. Our biggest space advocate today is, is Baby Yoda. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> can you speak a little to the importance of, of an event like Yuri's Night uh, in creating and awakening the passions of youth today since we don't have – uh, you know, a, a big name astronaut that is always going up on our own shuttle. Yeah, it's been great. We we do bring in uh, somebody who's flown in space at, to the LA event and the Florida event every year. Just to, to before we bring on the DJs and the costumes and the dance party, um, we have an astronaut share, to share about their experience firsthand with the audience, and that's that's always a really magical time and and to really honor them and and help people be able to connect with them and get to know them because we don't have that many opportunities. And so that's been really great to celebrate, you know, Mae Jameson, the first African-American woman in space has been there. And, um, you know, we had Anusha Ansari, who was one of the private space tourists, um, a self-made entrepreneur engineer who, who funds her own flight. And, you know, we had Rusty Schweikert. Oh, I love Rusty. He's from Apollo nine. Um, and he just speaks so eloquently about looking down on the earth from space. It's just, he's just beautiful. And uh, Story Musgrave, who, if he's not a household name, he should be because he's just, he's outrageous. Um, he's a lot of fun. He's, I think he's done like six shuttle flights. He's got like five advanced degrees and he's just irreverent as all get out um, and a great storyteller. So um, there's definitely some wonderful characters that I would love to see getting more, more airtime in, in our society for sure. So I'd like to back up for a minute and and talk a little bit about your experience at space camp when you were oh, when you were young. Like how old were you when you attended space camp and and how did you how did you get there? I, I know in a car, but it wasn't a flying car. No, but, no, in a plane. Know, I, I I was sixteen. I was a sophomore in high school, and I worked my very hard to get there. So I'm, I mean, for years I had been wanting to go to space camp. Uh, I even there's even like when I was I don't know eleven there was a contest on the back of a cereal box. <laughs> I love back cereal. Back cereal. This is before internet. So back cereal box was a big source of information it was, in the day. It was how you connected with kids for many it, years. Yeah. That's all we had. It's all we had to read. There were no screens. <laughs> and it was a 75 word essay about where the U.S. space program would be in the year 2000. And the prize was a trip to space camp. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so gonna win. It's gonna be so epic. And I was so obvious. So I wrote my 75 word essay. Uh, and it was like, well, there will be no U.S. space program in the year 2000 because obviously we're going to have a world government. Again, I was way too far ahead of my time. <laughs> uh, so obviously my essay was like thrown out in the first round because I'm sure the American judges were like, well, this kid's an idiot. Um, so I didn't win space camp, but I did start like raising money and like saving money. And, you know, I was babysitting and I was a soccer referee. And But anyway, I finally earned enough money and the plane flight to Alabama from California. And um Somehow, one of my classmates, Naomi McAuliffe, was also really interested in space. And uh, we ended up deciding to do it the same week. So we both flew out to Huntsville and um, just had the most amazing time ever. Like, <laughs> we had a great time. Oh, well, I was clear from this experience that I obviously had the right stuff to do, keep pursuing this dream. Because, you know, if we did so well at, at, these, at space camp, I mean, we clearly, you know, are destined for the stars. So. <laughs> 
I let it go right to my head and, uh, and it was, it was great. It was very reinforcing and, uh, encouraging experience. And now you're working with Yuri's night to establish scholarships for space camp. Yes. We're super excited about that. So one of, uh, our, my, one of the space kind, um, participants from the first round we did last year, what he is a cancer survivor, child, pediatric cancer survivor, who um, went to space camp through an, a different scholarship fund. And I was challenging them in space camp training, like, well, how do you want to give back? Who do you want to be in the world? And he said, okay, I know what I want to do. I want to start a scholarship to help other kids like me go to space camp. And I was just like, oh, that is such a great idea. We're in. And so, you know, space kind is a project of yours. And it's all sort of related. Uh, I think he's calling it the Cosmic Odyssey Scholarship. So to allow, um, we'll be fundraising for it at this year's event and um, super excited to be sending um, our first group of kids um, to have their own magical, positively reinforcing space camp experience. Join the Space Camp Alumni Association a group for graduates of all Space Camp programs to connect and support Space Camp from around the world. Your mission doesn't end at graduation. With Space Camp chapters located across the country and virtual networking opportunities, join the team to support the next generation of Space Camp trainees. Visit SpaceCampAlumni.com for more information and to join your local chapter today. Thousand four to two thousand fourteen, I worked for Zero Gravity Corporation. Has the seven twenty seven um, airplane where they fly up in the air and they sort of do like a roller coaster in the sky. And as you go up and over, uh, you know, sort of one of the bumps of the roller coaster. It's, it's a ten thousand foot roller coaster. You, it's sort of like going on a country road and you hit a bump and you kind of get some air. Right. You're like your stomach comes up for like a half second. We do that in the air and you do it for about twenty to thirty seconds. So you're able to float in the middle of the plane or you could stand on the ceiling or you could do somersault or whatever, or you could Superman through the whole airplane, which is really fun. Um, yeah. So when we do it commercially, so we'll do three parabolas, take a break, you know, and then do three more parabolas, take another break. So uh, it's a lot uh, less demanding on your body because our intention isn't to get the most research per hour, but right. to have you help you have you have the best experience and get to experience and taste weightlessness and play around and catch M&Ms out of the air and all the fun things. So, so you've spent a lot of time in, in simulated weightlessness, I guess. Well, it's not simulated. It's actual free fall. You are actually <laughs> floating, um, which is the same as space resistance, really small shorts of time. So, but I've got, yeah, over five hours spent floating um, in, in 30 second chunks. I love being weightless. It is so much fun. If you ever get a chance, you have to try it. Um, it is at the on the one hand i love to tell people that it's completely familiar it feel you feel completely at home like you were born for this it's like being in the womb you're like oh i'm home it feels so natural to just float and just be there um it's magical and at the same time it's completely foreign and otherworldly and your whole physics engine in your brain kicks in because things are not going like you're used to them going, like pens are floating or M&Ms are floating or people are floating. <laughs> and your, your brain is like, what is going on? Like it just can't make sense of things. And so you become like a three-year-old again. Now three-year-olds 
we're wired to like engage with the world and try to like understand how things work. And that's what three-year-olds do. They're always like testing things out and gravity right. and friction and, and balance. And, and so that's what, that's what play is. And that's why they're always playing and they're always exploring and learning their world. And so you get this airplane full of 38 adults who just turn into kids again. And they are just like laughing and giggling and flipping <laughs> around and trying to just figure out what the heck is going on. And it is just delightful. You also, at some point, uh, got to go to the bottom of the ocean with <laughs> the director of Titanic, James Cameron. Uh, you know, I almost forgot that. You're like, yeah, yeah okay, this is a good talk. Well, oh, I, yeah, the time I went to the bottom of the ocean. I did five dives. Um, and when we say bottom of the ocean, like this is not scuba diving. This is like two miles down this is titanic depths of the ocean it takes about two hours to get down there just dropping descending in this in these russian submersibles um, my deepest dive yeah it was 5219 meters um we're in the middle of the atlantic ocean so it's like the mid-atlantic ridge and there's hydrothermal vents that there where basically a new crust is being formed uh on, on the edges of the continents um black smokers they're called just incredible place to dive we were looking at this as an analog for um life on alien worlds you know could there be life thriving on under the ice of europa that, that's not based on photosynthesis not based on sunlight but based on chemosynthesis based on eating these chemicals that are the heat and the chemicals that are coming out of the the crust instead of the the, the energy that's coming from the sun there's like a dif different way to base your ecosystem get your energy from get your food from and so we were we were doing these dives down to these black smokers these sort of chimneys that spew out this black smoky water um and it was just incredible loretta's journey has taken her from simulations at space camp up in the sky for zero gravity flights and down to the bottom of the ocean soon she and her husband will be taking the ultimate trip to space you know, at some point when I was dating my husband, we figured out that not only had we both been to space camp, but we also had been to space camp the same year. <laughs> we both wow. He had gone the summer of 1990 and I went in November of 1990. So it's like just passing in the night. But yeah, both on our trajectory. And he's now a, a space camp hall of famer. So in 2005, um, my husband and I bought tickets to fly on suborbital flights with Virgin Galactic. And uh, it's been a real privilege of my life to be a future astronaut for the last 15 years with them. Because what I love about it is that I get to go um, to space on my own terms. I don't have, I'm not, you know, it's not taxpayer dollars. So I can, I can talk about what it matter, what it means to me and why from the heart. I can really talk about, you know, the spiritual journey that this is and the importance of this for the future of humanity. And the environmental lessons we can take from going up and the geopolitical lessons we can take from going up and the personal growth we can get from, you know, what it takes to get yourself ready for this. You know, I talk about a lot about the new right stuff. It's not a, just about being smart and tough like it was in the, was in the day. You, have to be, you still have to be smart, you still have to be tough. Um, and now we're adding in another level, which is also being authentic and vulnerable and showing people like, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all worked out, um, but I'm willing to take you along the journey with me and, and learn, show you what I know and help you out as much as I can. Um, my hope is that I would get to do my space flight in 2022.
finally getting your Jetson car. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, and like I said, it, you, I wanted to make it that everyone could do it. Everyone had a rocket ship in their garage. And that's what really the mission I'm on is doing the work and getting people excited and training people, the next generation of leaders so that this can become something that more people do and that we do, and that we do it right. You know, like we want to do it in an environmentally sustainable way. We want to do it in a socially responsible way. We want to do it in an inclusive way and, um, and in a way that helps make us better people and us a better species. So that, you know, it's a small goal really, but what else do I have to do for the next 60 years? Right. I've got a spaceship that I'm waiting for I'm flying up to the stars I'm gonna dare to explore this time And I'll let you know